Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 175. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com, it's Acting McFullerman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fullerman? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, enjoying, you know, the turn of weather here mm. in, like, northeastern North America. It becomes a much less depressing time to be alive around this yeah. time of year. I firmly believe in my heart that the worst time to be in this country is the period between New Year's Day and Valentine's Day, Mm -hmm. where it's just bleak and cold and miserable, and there's very little to look forward to. And now, you know, we've passed through that, we've passed through the ascendant period, and we're looking at a gorgeous, wonderful spring that the Leafs will ruin for us by losing in the first round, probably. But still. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So, Mm. uh, we decided today we're going to talk about a couple things that, that we found interesting. It might be like a little... The first part might be a little ranty, but we, we want to talk a bit about um, the seemingly evergreen idea that NHL insiders keep floating of like, oh, there's so many decent teams. It's a shame for some of these guys to miss the playoffs. Maybe we should expand the playoffs, you know? So that's one thing we want to talk about. And then we're going to talk about some of the best teams in the league that are not in the Atlantic. Because we talk about the Atlantic a lot and we've, you know... <laughs> kind of cried about how annoying it is that we have three other really good teams in the Atlantic, although Tampa Bay is kind of struggling recently. Um, and a lot of the statistical models don't like them as much, but I'm going to believe that when I see them dead and buried. Yeah. Um, so anyways, with that overly long intro out of the way, let's talk about the playoffs. And I mean, it comes as no surprise that Fulman and I are in agreement on this. We don't think you should add more teams to the playoffs. Don't do it. I don't want it. I don't like it. And here's why. Um, first of all, we should say, this idea seems to be percolating. Pierre Lebrun has been sort of banging this drum since, as far as I can tell, 2020. And, and, and that, yeah. Pierre Lebrun is the closest thing we have to just an unfiltered pass-through of thoughts from NHL GMs. Yes, he's a very nice man. Very rarely does he form individual thoughts. And that's sort of what he's for. He's just like a radio antenna. With, you know, a nice little goatee. And so, the fact that he's been saying this for a couple of years now, and that the NHL tried a uh, best of five play-in coming out of the lockout, I think this is at least on the radar. Gary Bettman has been against it. Out of the it. pandemic, not the lockout. Oh, yeah, sorry. Out of the pandemic. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and Gary Bettman has been against it. This is one of those rare times where Gary Bettman is on the right side of history. This is very much the worst person in the world is making, <laughs> makes a good point. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know how long he'll keep this idea at bay. And also, you know, he won't be commissioner forever, which again is not something that I cry about at night. But I think that someone's going to try and propose this in a serious way. Um, and so we might end up with an NBA-esque play-in tournament. And the NBA has this play-in tournament um, where they kind of throw the 7 to 10 seeds in every conference into a blender. And if you'll bear with me, I'll explain how it works. Um, The 7th and the 8th seeds play. The winner of that becomes the official 7th seed. They get locked in. They play the second team. The ninth and the 10th place teams play. The the loser of that is gone. And so the loser of the 7-8 and the winner of the 9-10 games play, and the winner of that game uh, locks down the 8th seed. And so the result is that whatever you did in the year, if you wind up in that 7-10 to bracket, 
if you can win one to two games, you're a playoff team. And if you lose one to two games, you're out. And so that expands the pool a little bit at the bottom end. And it allows uh, low-end mediocre teams, I guess, to have something to play for down the stretch. Yeah, I, I think there's been a couple advantages to that in the NBA. One is that a bunch of teams that would otherwise start tanking try and make it to the play-in. Right? So it leads to more competitive and better basketball in the latter half of the season. And the actually prime example of that is the New Orleans Pelicans this year, who started like 3-13 and 13 or something. Awful, awful start. Their star player hasn't played all, all year. Um, but they, they kept trying to fight for the play-in. They added in the, at the trade deadline, despite being a bad team, to try and make the play-in. They made the play-in, and they won two games, and they were in the playoffs. Um, so it, it worked from, from that perspective. Um, you can argue it's hurt the trade deadline a little bit, which is which is fair, but there were still huge trades because it's the NBA and there's always huge trades. Um, it, it, it's probably hurt the kind of rotation player trades from a bad team to a good team, but like star player trades are, are an entirely different beast. Um, and the, the downside of this and the potential risk that you're exposing yourself to is, again, to use this year as an example, the Minnesota Timberwolves were pretty close to the 6th seed and very far away from like the 8th, ninth, and 10th seeds. And they had the chance to lose their playoff spot when they were ahead by like 10 games over, over the teams they're, they're playing. Mm-hmm. Right? Over the, or over the, like the ninth and 10th seeds. Right? Um, and they happened to win their first play-in game, so it didn't matter. But there's a world where they lose both. Right? And I think some people are like, oh, that's a little bit unfair to them. Other people are saying, well, if you're if you're so much better than these teams, it's fair to say that you have to win one of two games, right? Now, part of the reason, so I actually, I like the plan in basketball because I think there's often a huge difference between the best teams and mediocre teams. And this gives mediocre teams some level of something to play for, right? It increases playoff races to get to the sixth seed as well because you don't want to get into the plan. Right? So it makes the regular season more interesting. And you know the downside w- would be that, okay, you're potentially letting worse teams in the playoffs, or you're, you're making success easier to reach in some sense. But I don't think that's as big a deal in the NBA because these teams, by and large, are not going to do shit. <laughs> the NBA, as, as I just said, has a huge difference between the best teams and mediocre teams. Much, much, much bigger than the NHL. It's much more likely, even though three-point shooting variants and other foul trouble, things like that, can definitely swing single games and, you know, bad teams beat good teams in the NBA. It is way less common for a bad team to beat a good team in the NBA, even in a single game. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I think the competitive balance side of things is not really adversely impacted. Because you're almost never actually losing a true contender. And if a true contender can't beat other mediocre teams on demand, they're not a true contender anyways. That's how basketball works. And someone could make the same argument for hockey. Like, okay, if, you know, let's say there's a play-in this year and, I don't know, the East is such a huge, there's such a huge chasm. So, like, maybe Boston has to play the Islanders Mm -hmm. or something like that. And you can say, well, if Boston can't beat the Islanders, then they're not a true contender. And I suppose I can't argue with that logic to some extent, but it's way more likely for a bad team in hockey or a mediocre team to beat a good team 
in a single game than in the NHL. Now, you could mitigate this by making this like a five-game playoff series or something like that. But then suddenly, you're playing a shit ton more games. Yes, which, by the way, we're approaching this from an angle of competitive balance, of fairness versus excitement, of interest and all that sort of stuff. A huge factor in this is selling more tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you add another game, that's potentially a very large amount of revenue. Um, and it's a high-stakes game, so you can hopefully anticipate selling out or close to it. Um, when you're designing a format like this for your season, for your playoffs, for everything, you're always kind of balancing justice with unpredictability. By justice, I mean the best team tends to win more often. By unpredictability, I mean there's still a chance that we don't know what's going to happen. And basketball and hockey are starting from very different places on that just by the nature of the games. Even if they have exactly the same format, which they did for a time, basketball is much more likely to go chalk. As you've mentioned, the best teams outclassed uh, the lesser teams because you have so many scoring plays in a basketball game. Over time, talent tends to win out. Over the and you exert of- so much more control over those mm-hmm. plays and your best players will play, you know, if, if in high leverage games, your best player will play 40 minutes of a 48 minute game. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk about how the NHL has these boring ass trades by comparison to the NBA where stars move, as you've mentioned. And that's absolutely true. But in the NBA, you can have genuine earth shattering trades like that. And they're just a lot harder to get in hockey. Like, you know, Claude Giroux was at his peak, a fringe heart trophy contender and is still extremely good. But, you know, Florida getting him is more, it's nice, than this changes the layout of the whole league. Um, in balancing those two things, <clears throat> I don't think you want to go all the way in either direction. If you make it so that the best team is near guaranteed to get the result it deserves, then basically you have a regular season where you should just pit, um, you know, decide who wins the president's trophy after like, 82 games. Like European soccer, basically. Yeah. And yeah, to be clear, this is not a thing that nobody does. It's just a thing that in North America we've decided we don't want to do. But I think... There there are, like, practical reasons behind Mm -hmm. it. Like, I mean, it's a lot more viable to do this, to have every team play every other team the same amount of times in England, which is the size of, like, Pennsylvania, than in all of North America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you balance those extremes and you know i i'm not denigrating that for soccer but i think all of us agree in hockey we love the playoffs the playoffs are the playoffs might have the highest q rating of anything the nhl does people love the playoffs and if anything people think the playoffs have gone on too long because the first two series are fucking amazing and then by the end of it it feels like a real slog and that's part of the appeal as well it's a real battle of attrition but the best quality hockey probably happens in round two it does feel like that, yeah. And, you know, in round one, you get, like, that hockey buffet feeling where you can just sort of sample a bit of that series and you can taste a bit of that series. It's wonderful. The thing about it is that every time you tinker with it, I think you should be thinking, am I moving the the slider closer to unpredictability or to justice, so to speak? And by inserting more bad teams you are moving the slider towards unpredictability. And hockey already has a ton of that. Now, let's own some bias here. 
Columbus got in in that post-pandemic. Uh, goofy little half series that was best of five. And they beat the Leafs. And when I complained on Twitter about this, someone was like, ah, you're just afraid that the Leafs will get upset. To be clear, one, I don't trust the Leafs to beat fucking anybody. So yeah, the Leafs, the Leafs don't yeah. need this to get upset. No, there's so much more that can go wrong for them. But also, I distinctly remember a period of like 10 years where this would have gotten the Leafs into a play-in tournament several times. Um, I don't have that sort of memory to, to not realize there would be a point where this would be beneficial. And if you're a fan of the, let's say, 16th to 20th best team in the NHL, this is great to you. You find this very exciting because there's more to play for instead of just watching as things slide out of reach. Like if you're the New York Islanders of this year, I'm sure you would be clamoring for a play-in tournament. Obviously, no one's going to impose it now, but you would love to get one. You would say, hey, we had to start the year with 15 games on the road and we've had injuries and yada, yada, yada. And this would give us a chance. Because of hockey being what it is, where there's so much unpredictability, where a goalie run can swing it. I do think that you are starting to cheapen your product to a dangerous degree because hockey already has massive upset potential at all times. People love it. That's part of the fun. It's not as clear who's going to win in a lot of these series. And even Titanic favorites like Tampa Bay against Columbus a few years back um, can get beat. But by throwing this in, I think that there's a hidden cost in the long term where the regular season means less and less. You start letting 20 teams in, pretty much everyone is like, well, we're probably going to make it, except the teams that are outright rebuilding anyway. Like, Arizona doesn't care. And then it's just sort of a crapshoot. And it feels like there's less and less to play for, I think, because you're just waiting for the playoffs to come around. Yeah, and and to be clear, that that does happen in the like in the NBA now. It, it helps in some ways, as I said. Like you get interesting races, and the same would happen in in the NHL in 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 some cases. Not not every case, but in some cases. But yeah, ultimately, you are saying that the regular season matters less and less and less and less, and that's effectively what you're saying in the NBA as well. The difference is in the NBA, the regular season already matters not at all, mm-hmm. right? Teams have realized that, yeah. right? So. You know, you're gaining a few of these races, and yeah, the regular season sort of matters less in that sense, but it, it already didn't mean much. The NHL regular season, again, already doesn't mean that much, and it's perverting it more. And I think you're also not getting, you, you are getting those races, but you're also not really getting um, any huge benefit in terms of, or sorry, you're, you're also r- really reducing. Uh, the justice sense of it. Sorry, that's where I was going with that. Uh, whereas with the NBA, like play-in teams, with the possible exception of this year's Nets, because they, you know, they had a bunch of weird stuff going on, are not seen as real contenders. And even the Nets this year, I think most people don't think of them, think of them as real contenders. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's, it's, I mean, uh, part of it is like this year, people, viewers of the podcast, listeners to the podcast, probably tell we've like struggled for topics. Yeah, absolutely, right? and. Because the regular season doesn't matter that much. And it gets perverted more and more and more. And it even it adds to the sense and I think like the, the benefit you get from increasing some playoff races and like, you know, the race to get out of the play in and the race to get in the play in is not worth 
the increase in nihilism you get of like why does this matter we could just face the islanders like we can be a good team can face the islanders can lose because any team can lose to any team and it doesn't matter yeah and you know that's something we've as we mentioned we've struggled with this because of what's happened to the leafs in the playoffs recently and because you know notwithstanding our fears and our worries the leafs were almost a foregone conclusion to make the playoffs as of like december latest like it was very likely they were going to get in and they did. Uh, I think that people look at stuff like the play-in and they say, okay, there's going to be a week in April where this rocks, where we get all these super exciting showdowns, you know, the potential for Cinderella runs, any, anything could happen. And I get that. And that's why the chatter increases while this is happening in the NBA. Because of course, while this is going on, it's dope. What I'm thinking is when you put this in place and then next year it's January and you're cheering for a team that is anywhere between 8th and 17th let's say and you're thinking should I watch this game or should I watch reruns of Parks and Rec especially the funny ones in the third and fourth seasons where the show peaks um maybe there's not that much appeal anymore I mean I think and this is another argument that I won't explore too much the season is already probably too long Mm -hmm. but that's not really going to change because the NHL is not going to deal a direct blow to its own revenue by cutting down from 82 to 70 or 60 games. Yeah. So. Well, and, like, I don't know, I, I can see it being possible. Uh, certainly, locally, there will be some teams that get more interest in the regular season, mm -hmm. right? Because, like, the team that's on the bubble that wants to avoid the plan and the team that, you know, is on the bubble in the other way to try and get into the plan, th those games are now more interesting, mm -hmm. right? But I worry more than in the NBA... This leads to an overall just decrease in whether we can expect the best teams to actually win, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's really my opposition to this, right? Because a lot of the same arguments that you use in the NBA do work, mm -hmm. right? The, the big difference is that the worst teams in hockey, or like the, the mediocre teams in hockey, have a much better chance to win than in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen that proven time and time and time and right. time. Right. Mm -hmm. And even, so even if you make the plan a five-game series or something like that, right, once, you know, once this team gets in, they're not going to make it like a nine-game series in, in the, uh, for like the, the true playoffs or whatever. It's still going to be the seven games that, we, that we're used to. Mm -hmm. And that team has still a reasonable chance to win. And people like upsets. I, I, I don't know. I view upsets are fun. But there comes a point, in a sense, where like the bill comes due. And, mm -hmm. and what I mean by that is you watch a later round series with the upset there. And in a lot of cases, it's like, yeah, I kind of wish there was a better team in, here. instead, of, mm. <laughs> Right? Um, and may maybe that's just me. But there, there, there's times where it's like, okay, there's, there's this awesome upset. That's amazing. That's, that's so fun. And then there's a kind of a wet fart on the back end. <laughs> Yeah, and upset well, like, that. Like, yeah. like last year, we got a wholly uncompetitive Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and, and you know, and like that's what hockey does. But the Habs went on a goalie run, and to their credit, they beat Vegas like legit. Um, I think they were fortunate to beat Toronto. They exploited us in a, in a meaningful way, credit where it's due. But also, like Tavares going down with injury ten minutes into Game One. If that doesn't happen, probably they lose. The Leafs outscored them by four goals. Usually you don't win a series if you get outscored by four over seven games. You know, stuff like that. Um, 
Winnipeg just sucked, and they pants them, and rightly so. But then, you know, you get to the the finals against the Lightning, and then it's like, oh yeah, this is a utter mismatch. And, you know, the Lightning beat the brakes off them. So, I, it, again, I, I think that at the time this stuff happens, at the moment of the play-in, when the game is on, especially when it's your team and it's leading up to it, yeah, you're into it. It's good. It's just, I think you've got a big picture a little bit more and say, okay, what does this actually end up meaning for the overall product? If I don't have a specific rooting interest, especially, are more people going to be into it in general? And, you know, the playoffs, as we've said, are already a great product, um, as they are. Does this make them better? Or does this give you a week where you have a couple of other things to throw on ESPN? Yeah, to say nothing of the fact that GMs want this as a way to like justify to their owners, like, hey, we, we made the postseason, we made the plan, right? We we could have we could have upset this team. It was close. It was a three one series, but you know, well, a couple bounces here and there, we could have made the playoffs. And it it's it, it's I this is something that Down Goes Brown at the Athletic talks mm-hmm. about a lot, but it bugs me sometimes, and I think the nature of the NHL almost encourages this in some ways it's like i wish teams really wanted to be top five teams mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm sure they do like i'm sure gms aren't like okay well we're, we're the 12th best team in the league that's that's good i'm gonna go to cancun um <laughs> but i wish the nhl rewarded teams and i thought this for a long time this is not because the leafs are arguably a top five team um i wish they rewarded teams that were really 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 good in the regular season mm-hmm Right, like I wish that mattered. I wish we didn't treat the regular season like a complete joke. Yeah, like the uh, there's that infamous tweet from sixty seven Sound about how the president's trophy is the true test of merit, and he got dunked on that as hard as I've ever seen on hockey Twitter. And everyone was like, "Oh, that's so stupid," and everything like that. And I'm thinking, okay, look, we all agree the playoffs are how we've decided to determine who the best team is. That's what we care about. I'm on board with that. The playoffs are exciting. Let's do it. But it was treated as such a total joke that you might outperform every other team in the NHL for six months. And everyone was just sort of like, yeah, fuck them. Like, they're, you know, they're bullshit fraud artists. And I'm like, we have baked in some unpredictability in this sport. That means that good teams are going to lose. And that absolutely happened to the Capitals for a while. And I think their eventual cup run proved that it wasn't that the core just didn't want to win enough or anything like that. You know, lots of moving parts there, obviously. But by doing all of these things where we juice up the value of the playoffs or playoff spots again and again and again to the deficit of something else, my big takeaway is most of the season is the regular season. We're doing this for six or seven months. Do not make it more so that I'm thinking this doesn't matter. And you can say, hey, as a Leafs fan, you've particularly suffered from that lately. Sure. Do you want to be like me? So <laughs> I, I honestly believe that the play-in would be a mistake. And also, on a extremely minor aesthetic note, at least having 32 teams and 16 of them make it has a certain symmetry to it. Mm-hmm. You know, half and half. I can live with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it, it's. I, I I just don't I just don't love the possible. I just don't think the upside is that great, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
I, I think it, it, w- it, it wouldn't be, it's not like it's a universe, it, it would hurt every single department in the NHL. It would make things more exciting in some contexts, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that is worth the possibility of adding more randomness to an already really random tournament, which at times feels like we're just playing rock, paper, scissors here. Yeah, I mean, that's the takeaway, right? Is if you want maximum unpredictability, well, put me in a rock, paper, scissors tournament and I have as good a chance as anyone on the planet. You have no idea what's going to happen. I could win. It means nothing, but I could. Mm -hmm. And so, again, don't push the slider all the way in either direction on the justice and the unpredictability thing. I think, as you said, I get it more in the NBA because their game skews more towards the best teams win more often. Hockey is more random. More randomness in hockey is pushing that too far, I think. Yeah, that, that's more or less how I feel about it. So, now that we've um, gotten really mad about something that maybe we especially care about more than other people, um, we were going to talk about non-Atlantic playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Or more specifically, real contenders. Because we go on and on and on about how good the Atlantic division is. It's so hard. Um, everything is so difficult. And I do genuinely believe probably four of the best seven teams in the NHL are in the Atlantic right now. That's where I'm at on it. Um, but because it's of immediate importance to us, we talk about those teams way more often. We will do so again. We're going to have to preview playing one of them pretty shortly. So we thought we would just look at who are the other teams that we might face in some later round, and are they as good or as bad as we seem to think? Um, you know, what is the rest of the field looking like outside of this division that we overfocus on? I think, yeah. yeah, so we decided to do five. I think there are three really, really good teams, and then two teams that I kind of had to fill in the blanks for. Um, do we want to start with Carolina? Yeah, sure. Um, so Carolina is very good, obviously. They're a sort of weird team to, under- to analyze from a stats perspective because they have huge discrepancies between their home and road statistics in a way that suggests possible scorer bias. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, we're going to, we're going to have to talk about their stats because, you know, we don't watch every single game of Carolina. Um, they're, you know, as always a very high, um, Corsi team, mm-hmm. right? They have like a 56%, uh, Corsi four. They control play really well. This tends to be, they have a reputation as being one of the fastest teams in the league and also one that's very good defensively. Their road stats are very good defensively and are much worse um, at home, which again we think is probably scorer bias, uh, and they're a team that I think is sort of interesting in the sense that they kind of have to start putting up or shutting up. Yes, because they've they've ha- they've won playoff series before, which is is good and is meaningful. Trust me, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there's been. It, it feels like, and I, this is going off like vibes here, and I, I could be entirely wrong on this, but. It feels like they have kind of capitulated at times or like kind of lost in crappy ways when facing quote unquote real contenders in, in, in the past few years. Carolina has been a fancy stat darling for so long now that it feels like almost a decade. Um, they employ Eric Tulski, who is 
maybe the godfather of hockey stats, certainly one of the very first people to make a big impression in the public sphere. Mm -hmm. Um, They've always been good. The stats people have always liked them, and they've always seemed to get let down a little bit by either shooting or, say, percentage or both. Um, You look at this... So I should say, as a preface, I'm going to nitpick them a little bit here. They're a very good team. As I've said, I think they belong in that top tier of seven teams that I'm talking about right now. They're also currently leading their division um, by a whisker over the New York Rangers. That said, if they were in the Atlantic, they would actually be behind Toronto at time of writing. So, something to keep in mind there. Um, Their finishing is still not great, it seems like. Um... Frederick Anderson has had a good year. He actually suffered what appeared to be some sort of injury last night, so we hope he's okay. Um, There is that oddity with the stats where at home it makes the Carolina Hurricanes look like they give up way more than you would expect, and Anderson just bails them out. And I think as Leeds fans who saw Frederick Anderson over the last few years were primed to be a bit cynical about that. We're saying... That guy's probably not saving you to the same extent that you seem to believe. But he is playing well. And, you know, they have the pieces there to be a great, very strong possession-controlling team. But one that maybe doesn't have quite as much star power as you think. You know, they have Sebastian Ajo and Andrei Svechnikov, who I think are fringe stars. Maybe, you know, legit stars is probably fair. And then there are a lot of guys who are pretty good, but maybe not dominant. Like, there's no one at all in that lineup that you say compares to a Matthews or a Bergeron or a Kucherov. Um, You know, Ajo's at the low end of that conversation, and me and Svechnikov might get there someday. Mm -hmm. But I think there are still questions about, like, how good you can be if you don't have great finishing and great star power. When you're going up against the very best teams, and and to that point, to the point that I was, <coughs> sorry, uh, raising before, um, the last three years, so since Carolina has basically like made the playoffs, um, and under under Brindamore, um, they've they've gone far. They they made the conference finals in eighteen nineteen, got swept by the Bruins, made um the first round, so they won the qualifying round over over the Rangers in the pandemic year, but lost to the Bruins again four one. Rangers kind of got outclassed by the Bruins in a couple of years. He, last year, they lost the second round 4-1 to the Lightning. Right? So, like, when, when they've gone down, they've sort of gone down easy. Mm-hmm. And I think their fans are probably at the point where they, they, wanna, they want that to, at the very least, not be the case. And they have a reasonable designs on a, a, making a very long run and being very competitive when they do go down. Um, something interesting about this team, they take way more penalties than they draw. Mm-hmm. And, the, again, they have a reputation as being sort of, like, fast and physical and obstruction-y. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that um, that penalty differential is unearned. I think they sort of take a track of they're not going to call it... They're not going to... Like, we're going to infract a lot and they're not going to call every single one and we gain a lot from that yeah i i think that by the way um there are a lot of teams in the nhl since time immemorial that have decided look 
they can't call everything. And that is certainly a viable strategy, especially when you have a very strong penalty kill, which the Carolina Hurricanes do. Yes, I think it's, it's the best. If it's not the best in the league, it's very close. Yeah, it's, it's exceptionally good. And so I think they may well have decided, like, look, this is the cost of doing business. Um, we will have this good defensive team that really makes it miserable to play against. And yeah, you'll get an extra four to six minutes on the power play. But we've decided we will live with that, and yeah. to some extent, the proof is in the pudding. It's worked for them. It, it has, and and to be and just to, to put a point on the peop, uh, penalty kill stats, um, the, Carolina has the best shot suppression in the league on the power play. Uh, the Leafs are second, and uh, are sure on the penalty kill. And the, the Leafs penalty kill has been very good this year. It's been better than Carolina's from the perspective of short-handed goals, much better. Mm-hmm. The Leafs actually have a higher goals for um, percentage and a. And a a better goal differential on the on when pen, on on the penalty kill, but like it's, or sorry, goals for percentage, but not goal differential rather. Um, but yeah, like that that that's you know just one aspect of it, uh, and I think the more important aspect of the penalty kill is you know first do no harm. Yeah, you want and to shut re- down the opposition absolutely. And, and in that regard, Carolina is seemingly without peer. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to knock them too much because I will probably favor them in their first round series. Although if they draw Boston, as they might well, it's not going to be a walkover, trust me. But I do find myself wondering, okay, if you need star players in hockey, Carolina is not going to have the best first line against a lot of the teams that they might run into in the higher levels. Yeah, so they have a, per hockey viz, they have a 37% chance of playing Boston and a 36% chance of playing Pittsburgh. Right. Um, they, you know, Boston will make it tough on them, as we've seen in the past. Um, Pittsburgh is still dangerous, but I think Pittsburgh is the underdog there at this point in time. Um, there's also just sort of a, a cultural subtext here, which is that Carolina used to have a lot of goodwill. Um, they were always liked in the stats community for reasons already mentioned. Uh, they expanded their market they seemed willing to have fun that stuff with the storm surge and a lot of hockey traditionalists like don cherry got very mad at them for that and i think that that might have done them more good than harm because a lot of people who enjoy things like having fun uh kind of got on board with the the canes you know they sold t-shirts with a bunch of jerks written on them which was something that cherry said about them and i think that they have decided that goodwill doesn't win you championships because they let Dougie Hamilton walk. They signed Tony D'Angelo, who is a much less beloved figure, especially by the people who used to like the Hurricanes. Uh, they've traded for Max Domi, who is kind of an asshole. Um, there are a lot of choices that they've made where you can say, okay, but that sort of worked for them. D'Angelo was cheap. He cost a million. And he has 48 points this year. And Dougie Hamilton makes significantly more money for a team that didn't really sniff the playoffs. And yeah, from a certain ruthless calculus, that's fine. But I think the Hurricanes have now really prioritized, we're going to have these teams that control play up and down, and we'll try and beat you on depth. Lots of good physical players, obstructive, we'll be fine losing the penalty differential. I'm just not sure it adds up, maybe because of my bias towards stars in hockey. And you would think the Leafs losing in the last few years would have cured me of that, but I'm not quite there. 
Yeah. Um, it's worth noting, if they face the Penguins, like, the Penguins will arguably have the best line there as well oh, yeah. with um, Crosby, Gensel, whoever. I think Evan Rodriguez has been the most common one, but I think they're playing Ricard Raquel there now. Um, and, and it's Crosby. Like, mm. him, very good player in Gensel, and then Guy is enough. I think what's going to undo um, the Penguins is that, you know, they are older. I think that they might wear down a little bit. I also can't bring myself to trust that defense, even though it looks pretty good statistically. <laughs> I just can't convince myself that um, Mike Matheson and Marcus Patterson and all of these guys are sort of coming together to get it done. But they are, you know, on the edge of being a very good team still. And again, the stats don't agree with me based on my name recognition, so maybe that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Carolina is like, they're an interesting team in terms of how they're constructed because I, I think that they made a lot of interesting choices in terms of a particular way to build a team from the defense out. Lots of good possession players, not a ton of high-end big-ticket salaries. They finally, you know, went to the trouble of paying Andrei Svechnikov, but beyond that... They have a lot of guys who make under $6 million, and then they have Aho who had to sign an offer sheet to get paid. Um, yeah, like, it's... We've seen this from a lo- for a long time from the Hurricanes, and it's just like, okay, as you said, maybe it's getting to be put-up-or-shut-up time. Like, I'm not saying that they'll age into non-competitiveness next year, but it's also like, if this model is going to work, this should be a pretty good chance. They've won their division. It's time to, to make some hay. Or, well, they haven't won it, but they're currently leading it, and they should be able to yeah, finish ahead of the Rangers. It would, it, would, it would... I mean, I guess the Rangers st- could still win it, but I just I believe the Rangers are, are not nearly as good as the Hurricanes. Um, yeah. Dom decision gives the, the Hurricanes a 75% chance to win their division. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, that race is tighter, but I honestly think that the Rangers are an exceptional power play unit and Igor Shesterkin in their trench coat and not much more. Mm-hmm. They, they will not be one of the teams we discuss in detail, so we'll see if they show me up. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Dom also yeah. thinks they're more likely to face the Bruins. Uh, he has them at around 50% to face the Bruins round one. Um, that would be... Yeah, I mean, that'd be a very interesting first-round playoff series. I think... I think the Bruins are really good, man. Yeah. You know, we, we complain a lot about the Atlantic... Um, Carolina has some grounds for complaint based on the format because they'll win the division, but they won't catch Florida, which, and that's almost guaranteed. Like they might not win the division. They are almost certainly not going to touch Florida unless Florida loses out. Um, and the result is going to be that they draw a very good team in round one. Whereas, you know, currently Pittsburgh who finished third is drawing the Rangers who should be eminently beatable. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're not the only victims of this format, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I think that Carolina might be the only other team in the East that I really believe belongs in the top tier. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, so, with that said, should we move to the next team that we're going to discuss? Um, the, the favorites, by some people's estimation, the Colorado Avalanche. Yes, and you know what? Mm-hmm. I think they're the favorites for a bunch of reasons. I think that Colorado has the best chance of winning the Stanley Cup. 
And yet, there are things about them I don't quite trust. Mm-hmm. And well, They are on like yeah. a nine-game win streak right now. And I guess that's good if you like winning or whatever. But, <laughs> I'm kidding. They're so good, and yet I keep thinking, are they this good? Because there are some models, and we were talking about this before we came on air, that have them as a near-prohibitive favorite by hockey yeah. standards. Yeah, Dom the Shishan's model, which, again, is, like, one of the best models mm-hmm. um, and has, like, consistently done a very good job of predicting games, has them as, like, a 36% chance to win the cup, which is very, very high. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, yeah, like, it, 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 the next highest is 17% for the Panthers. Mm-hmm. So they're twice as likely as any other individual team to win the cup. And, like, that's... And that's not just based on, oh, they have a really easy path, because... The Shishin's model has them as 36% to win um, the cup and 17% chance to win, or sorry, to lose in the Stanley Cup final, which suggests that they have a 36 over 53 chance or a 68% chance of beating whoever comes out of the East. So they're like, they're, you know, two to one favorites against the whoever the winner of the East is, which is, you know, probably the three next best teams in the league by Dom's model in Florida, Carolina, Tampa, or Toronto. Yeah, like, Colorado is on that level that I think psychologically we had Tampa on for the last couple of years, where they were just outclassing the opposition. And to be fair, Colorado was very close to going on what I thought was going to be their year a couple years back, and their goaltending situation imploded. They had to play Michael Hutchinson in an elimination game. And that's not something that even a very, very good team can likely overcome. So they've probably been unlucky not to have more playoff success than they've had. They are dominating right now. There's no question. They're very, very good. Um, It's just, when we're looking at this level, where we're saying Colorado is probably the best team, they certainly have an easier path than the Eastern teams do, which is much to their advantage. I'm thinking, if they were in the Atlantic, would they outclass everyone to this extent? I still think they would be the best, but I I look at them and I'm thinking, they can be had. And it's mostly that I'm not sure I trust them as a real, very good defensive team. I think they have a ton of these absolutely unreal puck-moving defensemen. Kale McCarr leads them. Kale McCarr is a superstar. Like, he's unbelievable. Sam Gerrard, great player. Devin Tate's great player. Like, lots of very, very good players. And, but maybe I'm just biased from when Toronto played them because I think they can be had. Yeah, so, I mean, their defensive numbers are similar to the Leafs, mm-hmm. basically, in terms of expected goals against, um, slightly higher in terms of Corsi against, um, as, as in slightly worse. Yeah. And I think... Their their five on five play drafting numbers are good, but not outstanding. Like they're not as good as the Leafs, for example, right? The Leafs generate more offense. Um, I, I think the Avs are probably slightly better at defending in zone than the Leafs, but this year they have spent more time in their zone than the Leafs have. Mm. Right, and and you know being better than the Leafs at in zone defending is not a great mark of honor. The Leafs are still not good at that, right? Our entire, our system is designed, it's meant to mitigate the amount of time that we have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, 
I inherently bristle at any team being like a two to one favorite against another really, really good team, right? To believe that, you have to believe that the Avalanche are clearly the best team in the league and like by a significant margin. And that's not an unreasonable thing to believe, I suppose, because they've put up good results and they have been relatively injured through this year as well. Yeah, they've got a lot of people missing time and they're still. Um, they have the inside track on the President's Trophy. It'll be neck mm-hmm. and neck between them and Florida, if anyone cares. But, like, they've been fantastic. Um, again, Nathan McKinnon has missed a bit of time this year, and I think that he's been perhaps a little forgotten. Uh, in you know, it, it's, it's taken him out of the running for the Hart Trophy, probably. But last year, we were talking about Matthews, McDavid, McKinnon as the clear best three players in the league. I don't think McKinnon is actually gone for good from that conversation. And in the games he has played, he's been obscenely productive. Like, 84 points in 59 games. That's outstanding. Um, again, Nazem Kadri is having the year of his life, where he's absolutely torching people at age 31, which I didn't think he had in him. But, yeah, like, they definitely have the forward depth to go up against anybody. And they have the forward strength to go up against anybody. Like, no one can put themselves up against the Colorado Avalanche and say, we definitely have better forwards. Um, And and again, they have all of these great mobile puck-moving defensemen. I just find myself thinking, their defense is not as strong as it ought to be. And if defense matters a little bit more in the playoffs, that could be an issue. Now, Darcy Kemper looks like he stabilized their goaltending. Yes, and that's a huge deal, right? Because that was one of their... If there was a blemish, it was, can we trust, you know, Darcy Kemper? Mm -hmm. And he's... I mean, it can still go to shit because goaltending can always go to shit. Mm -hmm. But Kemper's given them very good goaltending this year. And he's always been a good goaltender when healthy. He's just never consistently played that much. Yeah, and so that that's always the fear, right? Is that if he goes down, then you're playing Pavel Francouz again, and that's a bit more of a uh, a dicey situation. Um, again, I, it sounds like I'm I'm just sort of again nitpicking because I can't quite believe that they're this annihilatingly dominant. That said, right now they would be drawing Dallas in round one. Dallas is not a good hockey team. They're like eminently mediocre, and I really believe that. Someone described them as uh, they have they're a one line team, and it's the wrong line, which I thought was uh, was apt because uh, Robertson hints Pavelski has been very good for them, but they're paying Sagan and Ben to still be superstars, and they're not anymore. Um, so yeah, like there are so many reasons to believe in the Colorado Avalanche. It's the only question now is okay, are they the best team in the league and by how much? And uh, th- that's tough to answer. I think they're the best team in the West and maybe the league. Right. I think a reason that Dom's model particularly likes the Avs is because Dom's model is like bottom-up. Mm-hmm. It values players and then essentially you know, aggregates, the, the, model, aggregates you know, the, the players to get a team value. As opposed to, say, Mike McCurdy's model, which is, I believe, uh, actually, I'm not I'm entirely sure if this is the same way. It might also be, like, estimated bottom-up, but a lot, a lot of other models are, are top-down. They just, like, estimate what the team has done. 
right? And when you look at the Avs players individually, and you say, okay, if all of these guys are healthy, and I think they're starting to get healthier now, I'm not sure if they're missing anyone at this very moment. Um, it, I think I, I, I just had this up and I've, I've lost the tab, unfortunately. Um, but you, you, you project them to get healthy. And you're like, holy shit, like who, who can beat this team? They are missing Kadri right now. So, but I don't think he's expected to miss the playoffs aside from the, when he brains someone. <laughs> he will get suspended because he'll pile drive someone into the wall, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like great. They're, like, they're unquestionably a great team. It's just a question of how great and is it going to be enough? Um, and it very well could be. Um, maybe this is just my skepticism about teams that remind me of the Leafs. <laughs> because honestly, Colorado makes me think of kind of the Super Leafs in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I, I think Colorado could is very justifiably like a favorite. If someone says Colorado is my favorite to win, mm-hmm. I don't think any. I, I don't think that's absurd by any means. I think that's that's totally that's totally fair. Oh yeah, like I, I right. do a, a like kind of a um, a very simple playoff pool with uh, some old family friends every year, and my strategy every time is. I pick the team who I think will win their conference, and then I pick five players from each. And I'm going to do Colorado this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I buy them. I, I'm just, uh, I guess, like, last year, if Tampa had been upset at some point, I would have been really, really surprised. Like, I would have said, oh, well, that's hockey. Anything can happen. But it would have been a pretty crazy thing. Colorado, I'm... I still think they're the favorites, but if they get upset, it won't surprise me quite as much. I guess that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I think they, I, I, in the West, I'd be surprised if anyone beat them, or like more surprised if anyone beat them besides Calgary. Because mm-hmm. I think those two are the clear best teams in the West. Yeah. Um, something I also I want, wanted to mention about Colorado, if they have a weakness, now that like, you know, Kemper seems to be healthy and is, is firing... Um, their special teams is not amazing, I don't think. They, so they're actually the inverse of the Hurricanes in, in one respect, in that they generate a lot of power plays. Like a ton of power plays. Right? They spend a lot of time um, on the man advantage. Mm-hmm. And their power play is very good. Mm-hmm. Their penalty kill is, I think, like not quite as good. Right, it's it's around league average. Yeah, they're seventeenth in kill percentage. Um, by chances that they give up, they look pretty bad. Um, they look below average. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, you would anticipate this to be less of a problem for them as long as they can sustain that penalty differential, right? Right. Um, it, yeah. it should also be noted though that like the the penalty differential is driven by them, um, drawing a lot of power plays. They take like a league average amount of power plays. Like, Pittsburgh has a similar like penalty differential, but they're the opposite. Pittsburgh draws a league average amount of penalties and just never takes them. Yeah, which is impressive to do. Um, yeah, like you kind of wonder, is this like the fact that they draw so many power plays? How much of that is is sort of earned, right? Um, Nazem Kadri has generally shown an affinity for drawing them. It's very easy to believe how players like Nathan McKinnon uh, could draw plenty of them. 
because he's so fast that you almost have to take an obvious foul to kind of stop him. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to be relying on that, especially if you're thinking we're going into the playoffs where perhaps things will tighten up, where there may be more of an incentive to to kind of balance calls, right? With the, the spotlight on them more keenly. Um, yeah, like... I, again, I, I've been pointing out little things that could be an issue. None of that should take away from the fact that like, this is an exceptional offensive team that has stabilized its goaltending, that has one of the best puck-moving defensemen I've ever seen, and several other good players. Yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I can't quite quiet the voice in the back of my head about them. But yeah, I, I think I think your reticence is just, you don't believe that any team is a 36% favorite to win the cup at this stage. Yes. That like right. that's a, that's definitely a factor. So <laughs> like the the 07 Red Wings wouldn't. Yeah. And, and you know, like they were as good as anybody, but again, this actually lines up with that discussion we had at the top where it's hockey has a certain amount of unpredictability baked in. Shit can go sideways on you in a hurry. Right. Um I do think the Avs are a very 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 good team. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think we have many Avs fans who listen to this because they probably have better things to do in Colorado, like, you know, go outside and stuff. Um, skiing. Yeah, skiing, surfing. Well, there's probably surfing in Colorado, right? I guess you could drive. Aren't there. they landlocked? <laughs> there, there's, there might be a lake. I don't know. There, we don't know I a don't goddamn know. thing about the geography of Colorado. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Probably not surfing. Hiking. I don't know. Other stuff you can do on mountains. Yeah. Um, making fun of Californians. That's yeah. a local pastime. Yeah, where they surf like a bunch of losers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but I, 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 yeah, I think I think they're a great team. Um, they, I mean, the Leafs don't have to worry about them to the Cup final. At which point, who gives a fuck? Yeah, if if we've gotten there, we're already pretty happy. Also, yeah, Colorado is landlocked. So okay. All right. Anyway, th- that's not important. I'm what, I'm, what I meant is surfing on snow. Ah. Otherwise known as snowboarding. Yeah. I was just like you know three D level you know <laughs> uh, vocabulary there. <laughs> That's all good. Yeah, so, yeah, anyway, yeah, I don't mean to denigrate them at all. I'm just saying I, I think that it'll be interesting to see. Let, let's, let's leave it at that. I don't think that there's anyone who is doomed against Colorado when it comes to the good teams. And their best mm-hmm. competition is our next candidate, the Calgary Flames. Yeah. I'm still kind of mad about this, and we've talked about this already because... <laughs> And you know what I'm going to say, but yeah. in the Canadian division, I was like, okay, the best two teams are Toronto and then Calgary. And then Calgary was like, fuck you. And they did not do very much. Now they turfed their coach. They hired famous cowboy Daryl Sutter. And say what you will about Daryl Sutter. And we said a bunch of things when they hired him. The man can coach possession-based hockey. The uh, Calgary Flames are absolutely dominating play. And in a, frankly, cupcake division, they are kind of wrecking shit. Like, they're running away with the division title at this point. Um, I think Calgary has established itself unquestionably as belonging in the top tier. Like, you can't be this good for this long and not put yourself in that conversation. They're, they're doing it in a way that is also to our biases because they, they are just arguably the best even-strength team in the league. Yeah, that's a good thing to be. Um, 
a big part of this, and you know, this was a big factor in why they didn't look as good as I expected last year, is Jacob Markstrom has sort of found his mojo again. Uh, again, Daryl Sutter teams tend to make their goalies look better to some extent, so make of that what you will, but he looks more like who Calgary thought they were getting. And behind a team that has kind of uh, reoriented itself towards a very possession-based game, they look good. Um, you know, I'd be remiss not to note also, Johnny Gaudreau is having the season of his life. Um, he's going to make a lot of money this year. Yes, he will. Yeah, he's going into unrestricted free agency. The Flames are going to have a hell of a choice to make about him. I, I thought that that relationship was headed for divorce, to be honest with you. It really seemed that way. Yeah, like they didn't seem like they were super happy with him. They weren't that inclined to extend him. There were always sort of whispers about people doubting his commitment to the game and his, his love of the high life or whatever it was supposed to be. And this year he's come back and he has dominated. He's already set a career high in points, tied his career high in goals with seven to go. And he will finish on at least some Hart Trophy ballots and possibly he'll be a finalist. Uh, so yeah, you know, you look at Calgary, they're very impressive. They have actually lost Sean Monaghan. And Sean Monaghan has had a bit of a a strange career slump. This is a guy who had 82 points in 1819. And he's declined precipitately in production. His shooting, which was like his calling card at the early stages of his career, has completely gone to shit. And I've heard that he's had um, injuries that basically he played through and have kind of been degenerated, have degenerated. Yeah. And he, yeah, it just doesn't seem like he has a shot that bothers NHL goaltenders anymore. Yeah, and I mean, it, it is tough to see because, we, you know, you have to acknowledge, this guy was around 30 goals for five straight years. Yeah, he, he came into the league and scored 20 goals as a, as a rookie, mm-hmm. um, you know, comfortably. Yeah, and, you know, he, and he hung out in that range, and then this year it was 8-65, and, and he was producing at a, frankly, Jason Spezza-esque pace. And he was clearly playing through things, and now they've decided to shut him down. And it's tough, because he's going to miss possibly the best chance that a cup Calgary's ever going to have in this window. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, he is a loss for them, for sure. And, and yet, you know, he, his play had declined so steeply through injuries and whatnot that he may not be a huge loss. You know, they aren't relying on him in a major way. They've got their forwards set around Kachuk, Kudrow, Backlund, Elias Lindholm. And their defense has settled right in. Chris Tanev, we've talked about, has had a nice little resurgent. Oliver Shillington has finally started to deliver on the potential that many saw in him after several years. Um, Yeah, like this is just a very tough, solid team. And I know I'm reading a lot of the Daryl Sutter personality in there, but they do feel a little bit like the King's redux to me. Right. They also have, you know, probably a pretty favorable first-round matchup. They're either facing Nashville or Dallas. Yeah. The And this applies to Colorado, too, to some extent, is that Vegas, who have been injured all to hell, partly through some of their own doing, <laughs> uh, but also partly through terrible luck, are still nipping around the edge of the playoff race. If they sneak in and get healthy, they will be 
a bit of a tougher matchup, probably. Yeah, yeah, and, and to be clear, like Colorado's, like Colorado and Calgary are gonna face Nashville and Dallas most likely, in like you know one faces one, the other faces the other, and yeah. both would be expected to win that. Yes, uh, like uh, again, Calgary should outclass Dallas or Nashville quite comfortably. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second round, because Calgary is going to win the Pacific, they probably play the winner of Edmonton and Los Angeles again. Like, unless Vegas gets in through that door and gets healthy in a hurry, Calgary should be strongly favored to make the conference finals, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Vegas, like, they're, they're down, you know, four points, and Dallas has a game in hand. Yeah, like, it, it's getting away from them. Like, they, right. they kind of need to, to clean house in these next six games, or it's not going to happen. And... They have a much harder schedule than, like, the Kings, for example. Yeah, we're down in that nitty-gritty stage where it's, like, everything matters. But, yeah, like, they've... Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry, I, I, I should have... They're, 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 down, they're down three points. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're down th- uh, three points on the Kings. I was looking at what they're down relative to Nashville or Dallas, which is the wild card, but mm-hmm. they're actually closer to the Kings. Yeah, so they're they, down three points to the Kings, and they have a game in hand. So it, and they, they're a better team than the Kings. The Kings have a negative goal differential. Yeah, um, they, they but, should be. And the, the Kings were uh, like yeah. the Kings are in that probably one year or two years away stage, and they've mm-hmm. just kind of hung around because it's the Pacific. But still, from Calgary's perspective, you should be thinking this is well, famous last words, this is the kind of situation roughly that I thought the Leafs were in last year, where it's like, mm-hmm. you have a very winnable first two rounds. And then sure, maybe you run into Colorado after that, but it's the final four. Um, they have a, a pretty good chance of just getting through the first two rounds. And I think sometimes we underestimate just how much that matters. Like, you know, mm-hmm. again, it's hockey. Even if you're a good team, you can lose early and then that's it. Um, yeah, Calgary has really impressed me for sure. If they have a weakness again, like, I don't know if I I always find myself looking at centers in this situation. And I wonder a little bit if Mm -hmm. they have the the centers to match up against the very best teams, but you know, Elias Lindholm is no joke for sure. Right. And like that line's been good enough that you have to respect it, even if their center isn't someone with name brand value. Yeah, and, and you know, even if you say, "Look, it's Johnny Gaudreau um, driving the bus," well, they're going to have him. So, yeah, uh, I mean, not a lot to to say other than to say that they're a great dominant possession team. Yeah, I, I will say like, they've been very healthy this year, mm-hmm. right? Which is a good thing. Like you, and you—that's yeah. a good thing because you, you expect them to kind of be healthy going forward, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, like we're, I think we're seeing essentially like the best of the Flames, yeah. which and, which isn't necessarily true of of say the the Avalanche because of their injuries, right? Um, and it's certainly not true of the Vegas Golden Knights, who mm-hmm. you know we we've all had some fun clowning on them. If Vegas is healthy or close to it for most of the season with this lineup, they are comfortably a playoff team. So, yeah, and, and again, Calgary does have some decisions looming. Matthew Kachuk is going to demand a raise. And by the way, we talked about Kachuk as a comparable for Mitch Marner. And uh, Kachuk signed for three years at $7 million. Very famously, Mitch Marner signed 
for six years at 11, or just under 11. But there was a bit of a sting in the tail of the Kachuk thing, which is that his qualifying offer is going to be $9 million next time. And he can just pick that up if they don't make him an offer he likes. He also, you know, he's having an outstanding year, so they probably will just, I suspect they'll just pony up and pay him. But between that and Gaudreau, and a bunch of other sort of edge parts that they might or might not want to retain, there is going to be a financial squeeze here. So, yeah, like this is maybe Calgary's best chance at a cup for, for the near future. Um, so th- th- I guess they better take advantage. Yeah. Okay, so now we leave the realm of teams we feel really good about, and we're at teams where like, yeah, maybe we can talk ourselves into them. Yeah, to be clear... I think that there are seven really good teams in the NHL, and I think that they're all reasonably close to one another. And they are Florida, Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Colorado, Calgary, and Carolina. After that, I really kind of had to squint, I guess, to see a team Mm -hmm. that I felt that impressed by. I eventually settled on minnesota yeah but even then i mean I so guess, minnesota's yeah um thing this year it's it is as it always was okay offense phenomenal defense but now they actually have some skill to finish and the most obvious example of that of course is kirill kaprizov yes and kirill kaprizov is dope he's like he's just a great offensive player um He's seventh in the league in point production at time of writing. He's actually tied with Mitch Marner, although Marner's played fewer games. Um, he does a lot for them, to be clear. Like, he he raises the ceiling on that team. A team that has never, really ever, had sufficient offensive skill. Mm-hmm. Like, I distinctly remember a period where they had uh, Marion Gabrick and nothing the hell else. And that feels emblematic of how they've been forever. So now they've got at least one big ticket scorer to go with the team that is always good defensively and is again. Um, They also picked up Marc-Andre Fleury at the deadline in the hopes of stabilizing their goaltending, which was an interesting maneuver, but, you know, you know Fleury at this point. He wasn't having a terrific year in Chicago. He was weighed down by a rough start in the early months. But he's very well established. He's been very good at multiple points in his career, so that might be enough for them. And he, he started playing much better recently as well. Um, yeah. And, you know, Minnesota, I think, can help him out a little bit in that regard. Um, that said, every year Minnesota looks kind of good by fancy stats. And I still think, yeah, but they're Minnesota. And I kind of discount them. And they have never yet really proved me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this time they'll do it. But... You know, I would be surprised if very many people who aren't hardcore believers in in XGA put Minnesota up against Colorado, who they will probably have to face at some point, and say, yeah, this is a wash. You know? Right. I mean, you have to really buy into Minnesota as a shooting talent team. And Mm -hmm. you can buy into that with Kaprizov, but it's not just limited to Kaprizov. Yeah. Right? Because they have a handful of players who have really outperformed what you would expect of them mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, in terms of goals. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I, I mean, they are a good team. I don't want to get too carried away here, but I right. just, and, and yeah. there It's not like uh, Kaprizov is the only forward worth it, Dan, here. Like, Kevin Fiala is good. Yeah. Um, Eric Sinek is good. He's he's actually very good. Eric Sinek is an elite defensive center. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Matt Zuccarello is old, but still good. He's, an, he's another guy who is running very, very, very hot. But he plays with Kaprizov, right? And Kaprizov, I can buy him elevating shooting percentages for his line mates. Mm-hmm. Right? He is um, for real that good. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, who else do they have? They have Nick Felino's brother. What's his name? Marcus. Yeah. Right? And again, another guy massively, massively overperforming his expected goals in a way that, you know, Marcus Felino is not known as a great shooter, but he has been for the past couple of years. Is that real? Is that something in the data? Is it, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the Minnesota Wild also have have often looked better than their stats in recent years by goals. Um, I don't know how long they can sustain this, to be honest with you, but it's it's happened enough that you have to at least allow for the possibility that they're doing something systemic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, since 1920, they've outperformed their expected goals every single year. Yeah, sometimes to a notable degree. Uh, right. And and it's worth noting that like, their goaltending in each of those years has been poor as well, which which could so it could be like again scorer bias where scorers are undercounting how or, or badly placing locations of shots to make them look less dangerous than they actually are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean there are lots of possibilities there. That said, you know this team has won thirty three games in regulation. And I, I hate to boil it down that far, but like most of the teams that we consider true contenders have more than that. I mean, they pretty much all do. Tampa only has 34, but they're Tampa, so they get the benefit of the doubt until they do otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like... They, they have, damn, they have eight overtime wins and five shootout wins. That's crazy. Yeah, like, you know, and, and again, you know, they still are doing good things. They're putting up good stats. They have a good goal differential. I'm not saying it's all smoke and mirrors. I'm just saying, I think this adds up to a team that is clearly closer to the head of the second tier, but not in the first tier. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also an argument we should have had St. Louis in this spot based on record. And St. Louis has been on fire lately. They've won eight in a row, um, which has inched them ahead of Minnesota in the standings. St. Louis, though, I don't trust at all. Yeah, they've, um, they're riding a bit of a heater, aren't they? They're riding a huge heater. Um, you know, their actual underlying stats are kind of bad, um, like significantly worse than Minnesota's. They Mm -hmm. lead the league in PDO this year. That's always a bit of an iffy sign. And again, this is the St. Louis Blues. So I don't, you know, Tarasenko can legitimately say, okay, I'm going to shoot the lights out. And Same with, like, Robert Thomas. Yeah. So, you know, some of that is earned. They're in a weird goaltending situation where they com- they committed an enormous amount of money in term to Jordan Binnington, who was their cop run goalie. And he's, at the moment, lost the job to Ville Husso, um, who is now going to lead them in the playoffs and then probably is going to walk in free agency and they'll go back to Binnington. Uh- Huso's been amazing, though. He's been really good. 
And so, yeah, uh, make of that what you will. So, uh, yeah, so it's like to some extent, like, I, I mean, I buy, I buy the goaltending because, like, I can, yeah, I can believe that Billy Huso is very good. Sure. Um, the shooting is, like, a little weirder to me because, yeah, it, it doesn't scream out this team has a ton of finishing talent. Yeah. Also, I can buy that Huso is very good, but I also could buy that this is a fluke because. Well, yeah, yeah. it's goalies, right? You, it yeah. could always be a fluke. And it's not like, you know, he was up and down in the AHL before this. And last year mm-hmm. he wasn't great. So, yeah, like, kind of anything could happen, I guess, which is, is a bit of a crapshoot, but. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, it. They, they do have, like, ta- I mean, David Perron is one of those sneaky guys who's, like, always been a shockingly very good shooter. Um, they they stole Pavel Buchnevich from the from the Rangers this offseason. He's been very good. He's a plus shooter. Yeah, like they're a good team with good players. Actually, there's something as an aside I just wanted to mention about Perron. Um, I did as like a joke thing when it looked like Team Canada was going to go to the Olympics uh, last fall, and I said, you know, you can just sort by points and pick the best, pick the top 12 forwards and the top six defensemen, and you will get a team that is a favorite at the Olympics for Team Canada. Mm-hmm. But I did that, and kind of to my surprise, one of the top 12 forwards in scoring over the past couple of years was David Perron. Mm. You know, like he's just been very steadily, very productive for a long time, uh, even though he's now coming up on his 34th birthday. He's always basically always been like a Western Conference guy, right? So I think yeah. he hasn't gotten as much notoriety. He played a little bit in like Pittsburgh, was it? And then they did that like Perron for Haglin swap that like worked well for everyone, essentially. Yeah. And you know what? He's also, in terms of just missing games at the right time, the result has been he's never actually hit 70 points, despite mm. being on pace to hit 70 points like every single year. It yeah. seemed like for the last like four or five. Um, so, and the one yeah. year he played every game was the lock or the pandemic year. <laughs> <laughs> he did it one other time, but yeah, like he, he's always missing a few. Um, anyway, but yeah, he's a good player. Like I look at the names and I can see, okay, I can see that St. Louis is good. And I remember that they recently won a cup, although they had uh, a couple of key pieces that they don't, most notably Alex Petrangelo. And I can buy that they're a good team, but then I look at their stat profile, and their stat profile is Paper Tiger. Like, it's just, if you are the team that has a, a 103 PDO, I don't know if I trust you. And hmm. especially not when you don't control play, which they aren't doing. When they won for the back half of that season, they dominated the puck. It's, it's not happening right now. Anyway... This probably says something about Minnesota that, like, we tried to do a segment on them and we just wound up talking about St. Louis. <laughs> like, we couldn't sustain it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, you know, you can put either of those two together and say it, it, it's kind of a wash. I think Minnesota is probably better. But the thing about PDO heaters is, well, they could end at any point, but until they end, you're very good. And so if this is more sustainable than I feel like it is, St. Louis might do some damage. Um, we were going to do one other team. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't know if this is the team you wanted to talk about, but the Oilers. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is painful <laughs> to contemplate, but there is an argument. Right. And like, here we get into, I, I, you know, we're cutting it off arbitrarily at five. You could talk 
you, you could put the Oilers in here. You could put the Penguins in here. You could put the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers arguably should be in here based on regular season performance. A we lot just, of people are going to say you should put the Rangers in there. Yeah, we just don't really trust it. And people raise the point that, like, okay, yes, they're all goaltending, but, like, goaltending is a part of their team, right? It's not, it's not like, it's not like you know, you get rent-a-goalies for each game, and they've just gotten a good role of rent-a-goalies. No, they, they pay Igor Shosturkin. Yeah, and, you know, Shosturkin, there are reasons to believe he's a very good goalie. For about 60 games, he was superhuman. And he's tailed off a little bit recently, but he's still having a very good year. It's just, you have to be so good for so long before I trust that you are a gold-plated top five goalie. Like, I felt that way about Pete Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist, um, Roberto Luongo. Not many people in that tier, and Shesterkin could be at the very beginning of a long run in that level, to be clear. Like, he has the ability, it's just, like, it takes a lot for me to trust that you genuinely can count on a massive goaltending advantage, game in, game out. Mm. Anyway, because the Rangers, I mean, they've ticked up a little bit recently, but for most of the year, they didn't control play at all. And so, I look at that, and I don't really trust it. And then, you know, they have a lot of good power play guys. But... Anyway, so yeah, you can put the Rangers there. You can put Pittsburgh in. Pittsburgh's never really a wrong answer in any of these. It's like, well, they still have Crosby and Malkin, like they have for 15 years. So, mm-hmm. um, But since we've done this to ourselves, yes, let's talk about the fucking Oilers. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the case for the Oilers is, as it's the same as it always was. They will probably have the two best players in any series that they play. Yeah. Certainly the one best, because I, mm-hmm. I still think McDavid is the best player in the world. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Know? And Dreisaitl and, is at least a top five offensive player. Yes. And the Oilers are, they're not like a bad fancy stats team, right? They, they, they look basically league average. They have a dominant, dominant, dominant power play. Mm-hmm. And don't look now, but Mike Smith has been pretty good this season and has been coming on really, really strong. Yeah, that's the the crux of it, because he had a lull in the middle of his season where he looked like you would expect a guy who is 75 years old to look. And I always kind of thought that's the weakness. Like, before the season, I said Edmonton should coast to second in the division as long as the goaltending holds up. And they are actually in the process of doing that, even though the team I thought would be ahead of them was Vegas and not Calgary. Yeah, it's been, like, sort of dramatic, but then you look at what they've done on the whole this year, and it's kind of been what is expected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they don't really belong with the very best teams. They're still not good enough when their stars aren't on the ice, mm-hmm. I don't think. But when you have two players who are supernovas offensively, and, you know, look, we've made our case for Matthews for Hart, and I stand by it, but McDavid is a force of nature out there. He is extremely hard to stop, and he can do a hell of a lot by himself in the face of great defensive opposition. Um, that, plus competent goaltending from Mike Smith, plus a little bit of spit and elbow grease, makes them a tough out. And again, if they draw the Kings round one, they should beat the Kings. Right, and it's also... 
because they have that elite talent. I mean, we talked about this with Carolina. Carolina, the big question with them is like, can they finish? Mm-hmm. Right? The Oilers, at least at the top end, there is no doubt about whether they can finish. Yeah. McDavid's having like a bit of a down finishing year too, personally. And like, this is, this is low for him. And even then, like that could flip at any time and he's still insane. Like, I, there was a, a tweet once about the Oilers. Um, <laughs> I forget who said it. No, it was Corsi guy on Twitter, and he said, I'm going to live my life like Edmonton, just fuck around for 10 years, and then wait until someone gives me the greatest gift imaginable. And that's basically what Connor McDavid is. No matter how many mistakes you make, if you have Connor McDavid and a little bit around him, you still have a team that can be a bit dangerous. Mm-hmm. And Dracidal is more than a little bit around him. And Mike yeah. Smith is stabilized. So Yeah, and as you said, they're still bad without Dracidal and McDavid mm-hmm. on the ice. Without at least one of them on the ice. Their offense goes completely to shit. Yeah. Right? Their defense is actually okay. They, as you they, they slow the game down, yeah. right? But their offense is really, really bad without those two on the ice. And of course, this makes them incredibly susceptible to any injury, to, to, to those guys in particular. Yeah, like, um, if, if Connor McDavid gets injured, this team is way into the basement. Right, and like, I don't know, there's been talk about, you know, Jesse Puglia-Yarvi's had solidly pretty good year. There, there is talent there. Kyler Yamamoto and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins are good players. Mm-hmm. They're just not quite good enough. Right, like, the league has so much parity in it that... Even the um, even like bad teams have some good players on them. Like we've dunked on Montreal for how they've done this year, but they've got good players. Mm-hmm. It's just there is such a differential, and it is really striking if you look at their point breakdown. McDavid, hundred and ten points. Leandra Seidel, hundred and five points. In third place, Zach Hyman with fifty. And, it, you know, it kind of tails off down the lineup from there. That doesn't mean that, you know, that's great for Zach Hyman, um, even if some of it is linemate driven. It's just, this is not a good enough team without those two firing on full cylinders, on all cylinders. But if they are, they are a threat. And they're a threat to Calgary if they are, you know? Um, they're, a, they're a tough team to to really evaluate. And I think we've gotten in the habit of discounting them because they've been such trash without, um, without a good supporting cast, but McDavid plus Drosado plus confident goaltending equals a team. Yeah. So, and we could get a very spicy second round series of Calgary versus uh, Edmonton. Yeah. And you know what? I'll pick Calgary to win that in six, but McDavid just, he's always a threat to just take a series over. So, we'll see. Yeah, you definitely don't feel, like, awesome about that, especially with, like, again, Calgary's a team that takes a few penalties. Mm. Don't really want to do that against McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, and you don't have to take that many when they score on a third of them. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, I think that that's uh, an interesting league survey. I, I stand by our assessment that there's, like, probably seven really good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, in conclusion, oh, sorry, I I, yeah. I should correct myself. Calgary takes like a, around a league average amount of penalties, but you can still imagine that being kind yeah. of 
scary when the power play you're going up against is, is, is pretty brutal. Yeah, and that's the thing, is the way to shut down Edmonton is to harass Connor McDavid. And by the way, there's been some discussion about McDavid doesn't draw as many penalties as he should. I think that there's a case that that's true. He does lead the league in penalties drawn. Mm. Like, it happens. So, yeah, like, if you try and do the standard defense thing on McDavid, where you make his life miserable, you bump him, you kind of nudge him and whatever you can, um, I think that that will begin to tell. Uh, and, you know, if you wind up on the wrong side of the man advantage too often, you can lose a series you want to win. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so I think that, that just about covers it. Um, the moral of the story is that there are good teams outside the Atlantic, but not that many of them, and the Leafs <laughs> are really victims of, you know, a cruel fate. When we say the word systemic injustice, we are specifically referring to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the divisional arrangement of the NHL. That's the mm. obvious and only way that we're applying that. No, that's the simplest yeah, thing. Absolutely. But yeah. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> that there, was a joke, there's... to be clear. That would be very stupid of me to actually say. Yeah. There, there's... <laughs> There are other good teams in the league. Uh, uh, we said this before, but the Leafs have also forfeited any right to have complaints about divisions after the last two years. So, you know, Okay. This is mostly... This is one of those things that I am 80% joking about and 20% actually believe. I honestly believe with their tendency to play to the level of their competition... Which has been like well documented now that the Leafs are one of the best teams in the league against great teams and one of the worst teams in the league relative to expectations against bad teams. Yeah, someone... Uh, looked at winning percentage in the Atlantic against playoff and non-playoff teams a week ago. And at that time, the Leafs had the best winning percentage of any of those four against playoff teams and the worst against non-playoff teams. So there is something to it. But I like with their habit, I honestly believe that Toronto could be very heavily favored against like the worst playoff team, which I probably is Los Angeles at this point, or well, it'll be <laughs> Dallas if they get in. Um, and I would still be like, I don't know. And I think they've got a chance against anybody. So, yeah. Pretty much. All right. Um, so thank you everyone for listening. You can catch all of mine and Fulham stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT We'll see you next week.